athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. As always, thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. I am your host, Donald Ware. So much to get to. It's been an interesting week, to say the least. And there's the obvious situation that happened on Sunday night that we're going to talk about uh, a little bit later on. It is Final Four weekend. Things are popping off in the Big Easy in New Orleans. As a matter of fact... I'm in the Big Easy in New Orleans for Final Four weekend. I'm excited about it, but it's a little bit, it's a, it's a game within the game. So we have the HBCU All-Star Game, which is taking place on Sunday. It's going to be at Lakefront Arena on the campus of the University of New Orleans. And you have a, uh, you, you have, it's in essence, right? SWAC and CIAA players versus MEAC and SIAC players with Tennessee State A&T players that are sprinkled in, Hampton players that are sprinkled in uh, with respect to both teams. You've got Team Big House Gaines. You've got Team John McClendon. You're going to have a halftime show that is going to be absolutely spectacular featuring the Southern University Band. It's going to be off the chain. As a matter of fact, calling the game, calling the game with the legendary Charlie Neal. What a treat. I, I can't wait. I cannot wait until Sunday. To be able to call this game with Charlie Neal is going to be an absolute treat. As a matter of fact, you can listen to the game 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Central Time. That's 12.30 p.m. Pacific Time on Sirius XM Channel 158. That is on Sunday. Very much looking forward to that. We've got some really big basketball games when you talk about the Final Four. And you got to begin with Carolina and Duke. I mean, wouldn't what a basketball game that promises to be. And can you believe this? Of course, we're here in Raleigh, and I've talked with you over the years about this rivalry, which is the best in all of college basketball. I've had a chance to uh, watch this rivalry at Cameron Indoor. I've had a chance to watch this rivalry on the campus of UNC, and it was really a treat for me to be able to see Jason Tatum play in this rivalry at Cameron Indoor. As a matter of fact, th that night is the night that Jason Tatum became Jason Tatum 
Duke won that game, but never before in all of the years. I mean, you're looking at, you're talking about what, uh, five and five, right? Because Roy Williams won three national championships. And if I'm not mistaken, Carolina won three before Roy Williams, maybe two. I mean, Carolina has five or six national championships. Duke has five. So you're talking about 10 or 11 national championships between Duke and Carolina. Yet, these teams have never met, not in the Final Four, okay? No, not in the Final Four. These teams have never met in the NCAA tournament. And so come Saturday night, New Orleans, this place is going to be on fire. Uh, come Saturday night, and I'm looking forward uh, to being in the city and, uh, you know, Sunday, obviously, I'm looking forward to the game, but being in the city and getting all of the culture, the vibe uh, of the city. To me, when you talk about New Orleans, New Orleans is that city that has a big city feel that has that southern charm. To me, there are no other cities when I think about cities in the south and big cities in the South that really have the big city feel with the Southern charm, right? New Orleans has that. So, I, you know, been a couple of years since I've been uh, to New Orleans. So I'm here and, and looking forward to really getting out and seeing and, and getting, you know, the, the, the flavor, right? The flavor of the city, uh, the eats and all of that. Very much looking forward to that. So we have the Duke Carolina game, but we also have another blue blood game in Villanova and Kansas, which pro really promises to be a really, really good basketball game. You look at Villanova, I mean, a perennial powers won a couple of national championships in the last couple of years or so. Jay Wright has done a phenomenal job with that program for Kansas. It's been some years since Bill Self and the Jayhawks have won a national championship. Number one seed, the only number one seed remaining uh, coming into this one. My bracket is shot. It's been shot. It was shot a long time ago, but... These two games promise to be outstanding games, outstanding games. And so uh, we're going to talk about the final four today on the program. As a matter of fact, Steve Weissman, who covers Duke for the News and Observer in Raleigh, going to come on the program and talk about the matchup. Very much looking forward to that. We're also going to talk some NBA today here. On the program, Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, going to join us on the program to talk some NBA. A lot going on in the NBA. The Lakers are bad. The team that he covers, the Memphis Grizzlies, are maybe the hottest team in basketball right now. And guess what? The Grizzlies are getting it done without the services currently of John ja Morant. Hottest team in the league. I mean, the you know, Phoenix has wrapped up the West, wrapped up the best record, but anything can happen. You look on the other side, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, you look at the Heat getting it done, the 76ers right there. I mean, this thing is going to come down to the wire. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, going to join us on the program. So, the slap heard around the world. <laughs> I got to be honest with you, like I we had we had virtual access to the Oscars. So, you know, you got the backstage stuff, the interviews and all that kind of stuff. I couldn't really get that stuff up. And for whatever reason, we were having some technical issues with that. 
Uh, but I, 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 I turned to the Oscars every now and again. And apparently when I had turned to the Oscars, this incident with Will Smith and Chris Rock had already happened. And I, I didn't hear anything. I actually didn't hear anything about this until Monday morning on the local news here in Raleigh, actually on the ABC affiliate. And that's when I, I kind of saw the slap. And I, I was in total shock when I saw that. Right. I had to go. I I saw it, but they didn't really show a great angle of it. So I went on a couple of websites and was able to see what happened, what really, really happened. And I saw what precipitated it. And, you know, with Chris Rock making the uh, the the comment, which was an unfortunate uh, comment. Right. About the. Because he, he, in essence, said Jada Pinkett Smith looked like G.I. Jane or was ready for the next G.I. Jane movie because she had her hair shaved off. But I believe Chris Rock, when he said he did not know that Jada Pinkett Smith suffers from alopecia, which I'd never heard of before, which is when you lose your hair. But he made that joke. And at first, Will Smith, and I know you guys have seen this by now but at first Will Smith seemed to be laughing his face sort of did turn red even though he was laughing then he apparently looked at his wife Jada Pinkett Smith got up approached Chris Rock and just bam just smacked him I was I couldn't I couldn't believe it and and if I'm honest a little bit further like not at the situation I was laughing all day not not about the situation in of itself, but the way like that Chris Rock looked. And then did you see Will Smith step off? He stepped off. It's like nothing happened. He turned and it almost looked like when Chris, Chris Rock was to me, it looked like Chris Rock was really shook, but it looked like, and I I don't think this was the case, but it looked like he was going to look like he was getting ready to get in a mode to defend himself again. And then Will Smith sort of paused and then turn around, turned around and like almost like buttoned his jacket and kept on walking, had like a straight face, right? I mean, Will Smith smacked and stepped. And I was laughing about that thing like all day uh, on Monday. But this was a serious thing. I mean, you really hated to see that uh, from Will Smith. I thought Will Smith was definitely wrong. Listen, Chris Rock is a comedian. This is what he does when he says he didn't know. That Jada Pinkett Smith had alopecia, I believe him. I don't think if he knew that, he would have said that. I don't I, I don't know Chris Rock. I've never talked to him, but he doesn't come off to me as that kind of person. So, very unfortunate. I think what Will Smith did was very unfortunate. And it's interesting because I'm thinking, okay, you, you went and did that, but you and your, you know, and, and, and listen, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, husband and wife, Whatever you they do in their relationship is their business. It's their relationship, their husband and wife. But they got some interesting things, I'll put it like that, going on in their relationship. And then for with that, and Will Smith comes up and smacks Chris Rock, but they have what they have going on in their relationship. Anyway, that's, that's their thing. But I just thought it was, <laughs> man, that was so crazy. And just stuff continues to come out. The Academy had asked. Will Smith to leave. He refused. That has come out. And then I thought the dichotomy between Will Smith smacking Chris Rock and then coming up later and basically 
crying, apologizing to the academy was was interesting in of itself. So that was so weird. And that's, I see why they call it Holly Weird. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, man, and I think we're still going to have some fallout from that. And, of course, the elders had to come speak with Will Smith, Denzel Washington, Tyler Perry. So it was an interesting situation. Up next here on the program, talking Duke and Carolina matchup with Steve Weissman of the News and Observer in Raleigh. Renaissance is the new Renaissance, standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company, uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake-Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom amongst 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll! So come place an order at marjoriesbeefjerky.com! Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 888-789-5043. 888-789-5043 Now back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Let's talk some Final Four here on the program. More specifically, 
the Duke Carolina matchup and I've tried to talk with you guys about this over the years of course us being right here in Raleigh it is the best rivalry in all of college basketball we're gonna take things to New Orleans say hello to Steve Weissman who covers the Duke Blue Devils for the News and Observer in Raleigh as he joins us here on the program Steve welcome to the program how are things going there in the Big Easy the Big Easy knows how to, uh, how to how to throw a big party and have a big event. This is a great city to have the Final Four. So, yeah, it's a good time down here. No question. Let me start here with Duke. I feel like it's been a sense of urgency with this team because in Coach Cage last year, you don't want to be that team that lost to Carolina the last regular season game, a very emotional uh, a game and, and more of an event. You don't want to be that team also – uh, that loses to Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament championship game and at least not get to this point. So, you know, what's sort of been the difference between uh, with this team, I should say, after the loss uh, to Carolina and to Virginia Tech in the, in the ACC tournament championship game? Yeah, I think I think definitely. I mean, uh, I think it's been said by many that, like, that game in, in Cameron, the last one, was exactly what Carolina needed because they needed to know they could play at that level against a great team in a, in a tough venue and win because, remember, they didn't have any, you know, quad one wins all year, right? They were struggling to even be on the bubble. Uh, and then they won that game and that put them over the top. But also from the Duke point of view, they kind of needed that slap in the face, I think, to kind of wake them up and, and know that, you know, you you have to play a full 40 minutes. You can play tough on both ends. Teams aren't just going to roll over and, and die because you're Duke. You know, they're going to keep playing hard. And, and uh, you know, it really took them getting through the ACC tournament and losing that game to Virginia Tech then. They had some time to practice in between, you know, Brooklyn and going to Greenville. And that seemed to, to where they, they kind of got their mojo back. Does it seem like, I mean, you followed this. As a matter of fact, you followed this team for 12 years now that Coach K is more, maybe more engaged and is is more uh, engaged specifically with the coaching aspect of this? He's been pretty engaged all year. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, he put everything into this season, right, because this is his last one. And, and really it started last summer, you know, he announced the, the retirement plans. And then Shire and the assistants got to go on the road recruiting and Coach K got to stay home uh, with the team instead of being on the road recruiting and, and all that. So he was able to spend much more time with this group than any other team he's had in quite some time because he hadn't been on the road you know, recruiting or USA Basketball or all the stuff he does in the off season. So um, that allowed him to connect with this team better than, than any team you know since I've been on the beat in 12 years because he's had so many other things going on. And I think – we're starting to see it pay off now. I mean, we started during the season. I mean, they are 32-6, and six, so it's not like they, they had big struggles. You know, they never, they never lost more than two games in a row, so they're always able to bounce back from a loss. But, but, but it seems like this, this connection he's got with them now, and he seems to have, you know, uh, no, a finger on the pulse and know what they need at certain times and, and a good communication level with them. Uh, it all goes back to, you know, this, he's poured everything into this last season, and this is going to be it. That the voice of Steve Weissman. He covers the Duke Blue Devils for the News and Observer in Raleigh. He joins us here on the program. He's in New Orleans. We're talking some Final Four. As a matter of fact, he's been on the beat for 12 years. Steve, let's shift to 
Carolina. You know, I, I look at his team is 28-9 overall, but it seemed like there was a, you know, a, 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 a point in the season where things weren't going great necessarily, although I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's in fact uh, the case, especially when you kind of look at the record. I was looking through kind of the schedule and results. I mean, they, you know, they lost a couple of games here and there, but they were able to ultimately rebound. I mean, that said, is there maybe or was there maybe some kind of turning point, if that's the case, where Carolina wasn't playing good ball? And was there some kind of turning point in the season to get them where they are now and ultimately being in the Final Four? Yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, they, they had a lot of their losses were really one-sided. I mean, you think about it, like Purdue and t- Tennessee and Kentucky. Kentucky was a 30-point loss in, in December. Uh, they, they went over to Wake Forest and, and got blown out by 22 points in January. And then Duke came into, to, you know, the Smith Center in the first weekend in February and beat them by 20, and it wasn't even that close. If you think about it, it was, you know, a 25, 30-point game for a lot of that game. So, uh, they they had to they had to take their lumps and, and before they finally came together and you know since then they have played tremendous basketball I mean they're uh, you know they've won I think twelve out of uh, fourteen games here now so they had that loss to Pittsburgh at home which was really the last the last really low point they had and then they went they went on the road a few days later and won at Virginia Tech was a that was the first time they'd won a game in that kind of setting where they really needed to win a big road game against a, a quality team. And so uh, that that's where they finally got it together. And that, you know, first year of Hubert Davis, he's got a veteran team. Uh, it's not like Duke's team where it's all full of freshmen. I mean, he's got, you know, Baycott, Caleb Love. Those guys have been around for a while. R.J. Davis. Uh, Manning came in as a, as a grad transfer, but he's an older guy, mature guy. And it just took them a while to find to, to find their groove, and boy, they have the last month here. They're playing as well as anybody in the country. Yeah, the win last Sunday against St. Peter's was, I mean, obviously you look at Carolina. I mean, jumps out to the seven and nothing lead. I mean, it was just it was just over pretty much from there. The 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 Cinderella story kind of ran out. Was that more of, I mean. How would you characterize that game? Was that Carolina just coming out making a, a statement and just running a, you know, in essence, a lesser team off the floor? Or did the the bubble uh, or the Cinderella ride, I should say, just burst for St. Peter's? I think it was it was Carolina just come out and 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 take control of that game, you know, which is what you're supposed to do against a 15 seed. And the other teams that St. Peter's played didn't do that, and St. Peter's gets all the credit for a, for just a tremendous run. It was such a fun story, wasn't it? And, and, and what they did, but, but, you know, Carolina, you know, was the better team. They were the older team. They were, the, you know, the, the more, you know, uh, uh, taller team, whatever you want to say, more talented team. And they just came out and like you're supposed to do against a team that's a severe underdog like that, you kind of take their spirit out early and, and build that big lead and just, you know, kind of crush them and, and that was just, you know, Carolina playing with all the confidence they played in, you know, in the in the NCAA tournament with, you know, they they got up to a big lead against Marquette. They got up to a big lead against Baylor. They had to come back to beat UCLA. But, uh, you know, they've been pretty dominant in the first half of a lot of these games lately. Steve Weissman covers Duke for the News and Observer in Raleigh. He's in New Orleans covering the Final Four and the matchup between Duke and Carolina. Joins us here on the program everybody knows about Banchero and what he's been able to do uh for Duke but speak to the play uh, of, of Jeremy Roach who's really been key 
uh, for the Blue Devils as of late? Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be in the Final Four if it wasn't for Jeremy Roach. He's made some huge shots uh, in the tournament here, um, you know, had some big scoring nights and, you know, 15 against Michigan State, 15 against Texas Tech. Uh, a lot of it wasn't just, three, you know, three-point shooting. It's more like his driving and you know, hitting mid-range jumpers and, you know, being confident, being strong with the ball, going to the hoop in the lane and, and finding the gaps to get to the, to the rim. And uh, it's really, you know, the perimeter guy, they really didn't have a lot this year. They had, you know, Trevor Keels had a couple of big games. He played really well in the opener against uh, Kentucky. He had a big game when they, they won down at Clemson. They, he had 27 that game. But he hasn't been consistent at all. And, and really the, the change was made to put Roach in the lineup for the NCAA tournament ahead of Keels for defensive purposes because Coach K thought Roach, Roach was a better kind of on-ball defender and Keels was having trouble in that area. So that was what sparked the change. But then Roach has taken that and had some big scoring nights and really hit some, some huge shots for them. And uh, he's been the experienced guard they've needed. And, uh, again, they wouldn't be here if it weren't for some of the shots he made late in those wins over Texas Tech and, uh, and Michigan State. Steve, Carolina wins this game if – if Duke has trouble uh, turning the uh, uh, with turnovers, if uh, if uh, if they hit their threes, you know, at a high at a high level. I mean, the, when they beat Duke in in Cameron, it was more, you know, points in the paint. They had a, a, a lot of points in the paint, particularly in the second half. I think they had 28 of their 55 points were points in the paint. They were able to get in there and penetrate. And I don't expect that to happen again because I think Duke will throw that zone out there and kind of slow that down. But if Carolina makes their three-pointers, if Manning scores a lot that way, uh, R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, that will be the that'll be the difference maker if they're able to hit some threes because then Duke won't be able to stop them. And what does Duke need to do to win this game against Carolina? They need to uh, uh, to, to out rebound Carolina first of all. They can't give up a lot of offensive rebounds. Uh, that's going to be a key. Mark Williams and and Paula Bancaro, when they're on defense, when they finish off a defensive possession with not allowing a lot of offensive rebounds. Uh, the second chance points can hurt them real bad. So they got to do that. And then I think, you know, they're going to get their points. They're going to get – Ben Carroll's going to score. Uh, Wendell Moore, you know, if Jeremy Roach has a game. Uh, here's the key, I think, too. A.J. Griffin, when he scores, you know, 18, 20 points because of his perimeter scoring, Duke's almost impossible to beat because you know Ben Carroll's going to get his points. You know uh, Mark Williams is going to do things inside. So watch for A.J. Griffin. If he has a big scoring night, then uh, that, that's going to mean Duke's probably going to win. Steve Weissman, he covers Duke for the News and Observer in Raleigh. He's in New Orleans, and he joins us here on the program to talk Final Four and the matchup between Duke and Carolina. Steve, appreciate the time. Uh, try to have some fun in, in the uh, N.O., and we'll catch up with you real soon. Okay, very good. Thanks a lot. You got it, Steve. HBCU NFL Draft Chronicles features Alabama A&M quarterback Aquil Glass, and he joins us next. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to 
uh, to WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I always say representation is it's not a request, it's a requirement. And I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest of them all and, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. <laughs> encouraging people to be better and do better and, and that's what i love man so thank you i appreciate you i'm talking about none other than common well i ended up in sam just because i wanted to major in business and sam you had the illustrious school of business then i found out that business was the key that's what i wanted to do nba all-star chris paul that was great to bring it back to one salem state university uh black college something that my city had never seen before may never see again and just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melogs. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State where I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. All, all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. You know, football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing at Duke for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a 
you know, big package for you to become a better player. But for me, it was playing for Coach K. He gave me the keys to, to the car, and I was driving it in first eight games. And you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey, man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row, real, relevant, radio. Aquil Glass, the quarterback, now former quarterback, of Alabama A&M, two-time Box to Row HBCU National Player of the Year. His stock is definitely rising. Looking to hear his name called in the National Football League draft. Has done a couple of combines. As a matter of fact, career stats off the chart. Throw for over 12,000 yards during his career at Alabama A&M. Puts him 14th on the all-time list in terms of passing yards. We're fortunate to be joined by Aquil Glass here on the program. Aquil, welcome back to the program. I know you're training, man. How are things going? Everything's been great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Always glad to have you. I, I got to start here. How is the clothing brand coming along? It's been going good. You know, it's kind of slowed down a little bit as things is ramped up within this process, but uh, plan on getting some things back going. But, uh, been good can't complain what's the process been like for you in terms of your preparation uh for the national football league and the upcoming draft uh, honestly it's been a blessing you know this is a thing that you know has been a dream of mine since i was six seven years old you know and just going through the process i've been trying to soak in every day and just living my dream honestly i was talking to i was talking to my girlfriend actually just like the realization, like, dang, I am living the dream. Like, this is what I wanted to do since I was, I was young. So, this has been a blessing. You know, just trying to get better at something every day. You know, push myself every day and trying to soak up as much knowledge and wisdom as I can from anybody and everybody. You really stood out at the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. Had a big time, a big time throw uh, for a touchdown. We had a great overall game. You know, speak to that. The whole process behind the NFL. PA Collegiate Bowl, and then really being able to display your talent in the game? Uh, I mean, it was a great opportunity. Uh, it, was, it was a huge blessing to, to be invited to an event such as that uh, with guys from all over the country, from some of the top schools, some of the top guys from those schools. It was an honor for me to go out there and represent not only myself, but all the HBCUs. I know we had a couple other guys that were all on my team, so uh, it was a great opportunity. It was a fun atmosphere. Everybody all the players were hyped up. You know, everybody was, you know, business as usual. Uh, so it was a huge blessing. You know, the game didn't end up how he wanted it to, but I feel like I went out there and, you know, showed that football is football no matter what level. Aquil Glass, quarterback, formerly of Alabama A&M, two-time box to row HBCU National Offensive Player of the Year. He joins us here on box to row as we talk uh, with him about the national, the process for the National Football League draft, living the dream. I mean, that's a beautiful thing 
for you. What was that Legacy Bowl, uh, the whole experience behind the Legacy Bowl, the combine-like atmosphere, and then uh, the game itself also like for you? Uh, I mean, the Legacy Bowl was amazing. Uh, it, was a, it was a huge honor to be a part of something that was so special. You know, the inaugural one, the first one to ever happen, uh, something that, you know, we can say for the rest of our lives. You know, we, we started this. I know that uh, Doug and Shaq and the guys at the Black College Hall of, the Black College Hall of Fame were just so proud of it and so uh, just grateful to see all the guys having fun and uh, just all the experience, you know, and just getting the chance to talk with them again and pick their brains and ask them different questions. Then like that was just amazing, you know. Uh, and then, of course, getting a chance to play with some of the guys you knew and play against some of the guys you played against in, uh, in college was also fun. So overall, it's a great experience, and I'm blessed to be able to have it. Have you already had your pro day? Yes, I have. It was March 9th. March. How, how did that go? How was that? Talk about that experience at the uh, at the pro day, the scouts that came out to that. And, and I think also what it does, because of the level that you're on, it exposes some of your guys, your now former teammates, and uh, to being able to show off their skills to NFL scouts as well. Oh, yeah. It was great. You know, it was a great experience. It was a little cold that day, but you know, we got out there. I did my testing. Uh, then they had my throwing. I feel like, you know, I had I did a great job. You know, all the scouts were saying uh, great things. And like you alluded to with uh, with me being on the level that I am, you know, it just helps out everybody. And it helps out the program overall, you know. Uh, we had a chance to get a couple guys, get a couple underclassmen out there to catch for me while I was throwing. So, Teams got a chance to put their eyes on them, and also D and Zay, and uh, you know, for them to be able to have more eyes than they maybe would have if, if not otherwise, you know, those guys have buzz on their own. But it always helps to have more. So I feel like I feel it's an honor for not only me, but just to help out those guys and help out the program is probably the biggest thing for me. Quarterback Aquil Glass now formally of Alabama A&M, joins us here on the program, through for over 12,000 yards in his collegiate career. You've had the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. You had the Legacy Bowl and all that comes with that in the combine-like atmosphere. You talk about uh, the pro day, and that's really a lot of times, I think, where it gets done for guys, especially with the scouts, is at the pro day. That said, the... NFL scouting combine isn't the end-all, be-all. Like, guys still get drafted high, even if they're not invited to the NFL scouting combine. But did you feel, I don't know, slighted in some kind of way by not being invited to the NFL scouting combine? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, as a competitor and as a as a player, you know, I feel like my body of work speaks for itself, you know. I feel like, especially after what I did at the NFLPA game to – and I have an opportunity to showcase my talents another time and get to talk with more teams was kind of like a, you know, smack in the face almost. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, God has a plan. I don't control, you know, who gets who gets to go and who doesn't. So I just took it as motivation, you know, put a little extra chip on my shoulder and got back to work. What are you going to remember most about your time at Alabama A&M? I would have to say winning the championship. You know, that was probably the the highlight of my career there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I remember the, the first year that you played and you put up some really big numbers and, you know, it's like, okay, you know, 
Quill Glass may be good, and you you know you talk with Connell Maynard. I think, as a matter of fact, I think you may have been under the old regime with Spady, if or if I'm not mistaken. Am I am I right about that? Or, or did yeah, you, that, yeah, yeah. My freshman year, yeah. I had Coach Spady. Yeah, sophomore year, that's Coach Maynard came in. That's right, and you know, I mean, of course, when you think about Connell Maynard and you think about you know the great quarterback that he was, not only at Winston-Salem State in A&T, but also in the Arena League winning four Arena uh, you know, Bowl championships. You know, speak to the relationship you have with Connell Maynard and how much he has helped you in this process. Oh, he's been a, a gigantic success. You know, I, I can't thank him enough for the things he's allowed me to do, the things he's you know, taught me, the things I've learned from him. Uh, I mean, he's been an amazing role model now on the field, off the field. You know, every day, just getting a chance to, you know, pick his brain, ask him certain things about not only our offense, but just football things, life things, and uh, just overall, you know, he's he's helped me tremendously to grow not only as a football player, but as a man as well. So I don't think I can do anything to thank him enough. Yeah, no question about it. A couple of more thoughts with Aquil Glass, who joins us here on the program. What are you learning about yourself throughout this process Obviously, you had the great years at Alabama A&M, and now it's post-Alabama A&M preparing for the NFL and pro football. What are you learning about yourself through this process? Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm just trying to work on my patience and understanding, you know, not everything happens when you want it. You know, we're all on God's speed, not our speed. So for me, it's just been about, you know, not focusing on the future, just staying in the present, you know, just taking everything day by day and getting better day by day. And then when we reach the end goal, it'll all, it'll all be good. What are some of the things you feel like you need to work on to get to that next level? Uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like, you know, I can always get better. You know, I can always improve overall. But for me, I've just been focusing on, you know, tightening my footwork, uh, you know, going through progressions, uh, trying to get, trying to get with uh, different coaches and different people who have been in the league to, you know, pick their brain and understand, you know, what's the best way to get in and out of huddles, you know, to, to lead grown men. Cause at the end of the day, these guys are grown men. You know, it's not, it's not you're going in and you're a senior. you got freshmen that look up to you that are in the huddle. you got guys who have been there, done that, and expect you to do the same thing. And uh, they got they got bills to pay, and they expect you to help them pay the bills by doing your job so uh just those things you know you know staying in shape and uh just going out and executing everything i do last thought aquila we really appreciate the time it had been since 2006 that's the last time an hbcu quarterback was drafted into the national football league the late tavares jackson who of course played at alabama state and the vikings actually moved up uh, to get him in the draft what would it mean to you to actually hear your name called uh knowing that you represent you know yourself you represent st louis and you represent alabama a&m and hbcus what what would that mean to you to hear your name called it would really be indescribable you know for me it's a it's a dream of mine like i said i started playing football at the age of six so uh i mean it would be probably the greatest film in the world. But the uh, crazy part about it is, you know, after that day we have to get back to work. But it would be huge because for me, you know, it, like you said, it's not just about me. 
especially about my dreams, about the dreams of the younger generation, you know, high school kids that may only have HBCU offers or guys in HBCUs right now who have a chance or want a chance. And uh, that's been huge, you know. Tavares Jackson was a guy who, you know, exemplified that well. You know, he, he came from HBCU. He went into the league and had great successes, you know, rest his soul. And uh, honestly, you know, that's been my goal for the past two, three years, you know. I could, me and my dad always say to each other, you know, first one since 2006. So for me, it, it'd be huge and be a huge honor. And uh, I feel like I would just carry that torch with so much pride. Two-time Boxtero HBCU Offensive Player of the Year threw for over 12,000 yards in his career at Alabama A&M, won a SWAC championship as well, hoping to hear his name called in the National Football League draft. He is quarterback Aquil Glass. Joins us here on Box to Row. Aquil, great job. Appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Yes, sir. I appreciate you for having me. Former Alabama A&M quarterback Aquil Glass hoping to hear his name called. I think he will hear his name called in the National Football League draft. Talking NBA with Mike Wallace next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeard, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Hey, Bubsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame. He owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get to Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world. Then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 888-789-5043. 888-789-5043 You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row From the Press Box to Press Row Box to Row Box to Row Box to Row Let's talk some NBA here on the program. You know if we're talking NBA, we're going to talk with Mike Wallace, Senior Editor of Grind City Media, who's been covering the NBA for about 20 years. A lot going on in the league as we wind things down. It's Mike Wallace, again, senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. Mike, th- what's going on? First of all, things are, 
are getting uh, hot and heavy, especially in the East as we wind the season down. Yeah, Donald, thanks again for having me, man. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, especially this time of the year, you know, when the NBA is kicking up. Uh, we're looking at the postseason now. Teams are down to the last handful of games, and the jockeying is still, you know, pretty severe, pretty fierce. And, um, you know, you talked about the East. You know, there's a lot going on at the top of the East. There's a lot going on at the bottom of the West. And uh, somewhere in the middle, man, is, is, is some, some, some key storylines that still need to play out over these last couple of weeks before the playoffs get here. No doubt about it. You talk about that East. I mean, it's really a four-team race with the Heat, Bucks, 76ers, Celtics, ah, the Bulls. I, I don't know a little bit too far out right now. But let, let me start in the West with the team that you cover, the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, what is going on? And the Grizzlies are the hottest team in the league, getting it done, winning games more recently, the last couple of weeks, without the services of John Morant. Yeah, man, as we speak right now, the Grizzlies are 19-2 and two this year without John Morant. That's 21 games. That's a quarter of an NBA schedule where the winning percentage way exceeds. That's an 800 winning percentage right there. Um, and then overall, obviously, the Grizzlies are around six, mid-sixes, almost seven in terms of winning percentage. So, you know, what, what that means is that, you know, a lot, some people may look at it and say, hey, there's no way to look at this and say, you know, Ja holds his team back. This team is absolutely – dynamic without Ja and with with Ja Morant. They can't reach what they reach uh, in terms of their potential without Ja Morant. But what it does underscore is that Ja Morant has plenty to work with. There is a team around this young, bright superstar, um, and, and, and the Grizzlies are, are stacked and ready to be a team of the present as well as a team of the future. They're really, really positioned well with salary cap space. Moving forward, they have draft picks uh, from previous trades that they still have. And they have two young, dynamic players um, that, that's under less than max contracts right now. Ja's still on his rookie contract. His extension uh, won't even be signed until this coming summer, and it won't kick in until the season after next. So they still have Ja at what amounts to one of the biggest bargains in the league. Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, his, his extension doesn't kick in until next year. And then Desmond Bain and some of these other guys, man, that are on this team rounding out this roster have really stepped up and exceeded expectations, and now they've pretty much caught the league by storm. I mean, if you look at, I mean, the Suns obviously winning the West. I mean, if you look at the Mavericks and the Warriors battling for third or fourth place right now, I mean, is this a Grizzlies team, and I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but that could beat the Suns or the Warriors, for that matter, in a seven-game series? They've beaten everybody in the West, uh, the Grizzlies, I'm saying. They've beaten everybody in the West. Um, there's only two teams that they have yet to beat in the league right now. Um, for whatever reason, they went 0-2 against the Hawks this year. Um, and then they, right now they're 0-1 against Boston, and they play Boston one more time in the last game of the regular season uh, on April 10th. Everybody else, you know, 27 of the other 29 teams in the league, the Grizzlies have a victory over at least one. And that, in, that, that includes a winning record overall against teams that are in the top five in the Western Conference. So, you know, can they beat the Suns straight up in a seven-game series? I say yes. You know what I mean? I, you know, there's no reason for me not to believe that they are capable of doing it. Now, going out there doing it, uh, how, how will injuries factor into a series? How will, you know, home court advantage? Uh, that's the one team in the league that has home court right now over the Memphis Grizzlies is the Phoenix Suns. And that's the only team that will have home court advantage over them in the entire league going into the playoffs at this point. So, you know, can they do it? They can. But, but again, this is a Phoenix Suns team that didn't win it last year. They got there. They couldn't get over the hump. Um, they have a little bit more experience than the Grizzlies. But at the end of the day, 
you can't gain experience until you get experience. And, and sometimes you play straight through it. Uh, this team reminds me a lot of what we saw a decade ago in the Oklahoma City Thunder when KD, Russ, and James Harden were all young coming up at the same time. They broke through, got past San Antonio, but couldn't get over the hump against a Miami Heat team that had just gotten there the year before uh, when LeBron brought his talents to South Beach. So it's a lot of basketball to be played, man. The West is still wide open. Um, you know, they're, they're, the, the East is definitely wide open, but the West uh, still has some a, a lot of business uh, to shake out. It would not surprise me if a team seated sixth, seventh, or maybe possibly eighth pulls off an upset on either one of these conferences. That's just how close these teams are when you when it comes to being healthy and ready to play. Last thought in the West, the Lakers are just a bad basketball. I mean, I, don't, I really don't know any other way to put it. It's, it uh-huh. just looks bad. But, you know, you covered LeBron James all of his – intimately, uh, by the way, all yeah. of his years uh, in Miami. Your th- I mean, do you think the Lakers can ultimately uh, stay in that play-in situation? And, and what do you think – you know, what do you think LeBron's mindset is overall right now? Can they stay in the play-in? You know, the, the the latest reports were that LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, were expected to be available going into the weekend um, and, and back and available. You know, right now they have the 10th and final seed uh, in the West in, in terms of the final seed that you can get into that play-in round. They have a half-game lead over the Spurs, I believe, at this point. And, or, and so it's going to be a struggle. There's no guarantees going into the last half of the games. It's a matter of do they really want it? And then once they, once, if they get in, are they capable as a healthy team of running all the way um, and, and getting running through the play-in and then you know maybe even pulling off an upset in the first round? They could, but that's a lot to expect from a team that hasn't shown that ability all year long. Um, the mindset is, is it easier for them? Anthony Davis, you know, been hurt basically all year. LeBron James. He's got his scoring. He's got his points. He's set up now uh, to make a serious run at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record over the next year or two. He's in position to do that now because of the way he played out the string this year. Um, Is he motivated to say, you know what, guys, let's go in here with the NCAA mindset and try to win four games and see what happens, you know, in terms of what we can do? You know, yes, they, they, they can do that. They could. But do they really want to do that? Do they like being around each other enough to really do what it takes to grind through this. That's the question I have about these Lakers. I think they can catch fire, but I just don't, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. I just can't count any team out that has LeBron James if he's willing to play and he's healthy enough to get on the court. Talking NBA with Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media here on the program. Before we talk about the East, MVP race is winding down. Who Mm -hmm. is your MVP currently? Wow, that's, that's, that's a great question. I mean, it, it really is. Um, the way that Giannis has brought the Bucks back into contention for the overall top seed in the, in the East, um, I, I don't see any reason why he, he shouldn't be back into the mix with that. Jokic and the Denver Nuggets, I mean, he, Jokic gets a lot of credit. He's the reigning MVP. But, again, the Denver Nuggets are basically fighting for a fifth, sixth seed. You know what I mean? In a year where your marquee top best player has teams in the one, two, or three seeds – I don't know, you know, how much I'm willing to reward Nikola Jokic for, for doing everything that he does. He's a phenomenal player, and I'm not taking the MVP away from him. I'm just saying when you look at what guys have been able to do, I think Joel Embiid certainly gets a, a consideration because of how that team had to make a midseason trade and the way he's played all year long. He's been healthy. He's been durable uh, for the most part. 
Giannis Antetokounmpo will be on that, you know, in, in, in high consideration for me. And then the guy that sneaks up on a lot of people that doesn't get a lot of credit is Devin Booker. Someone needs to give that man some respect when it comes to this MVP race. I think he did sort of take some of the late push that John Morant was making uh, in terms of being mentioned in the award uh, discussion because what happens with Phoenix is Chris Paul's been out. Devin Booker's kept that team afloat and afar, uh, you know, far out in the West. So, you know, it would probably be one of those three right there for me um, with Jokic rounding out the four and, you know, we'll see what happens with, with, with five. But I also believe Tatum gets some, some, some serious consideration as well, too. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, talking NBA here on the program. Follow him on Twitter, at MyMikeCheck. I mean, I mentioned the Heat, Bucks, 76ers, Celtics, Bulls, maybe with an outside shot in the East. Who do you think ultimately wins the East? wins the East in terms of number one seed or comes out of there as Eastern Conference champions. I mean, those could be two different, completely different teams in my book when it comes to that. You know, I, Drew Holiday has still been hurt. He hasn't been back. And, and, and I think it's going to be the Bucks can play their way into shape. They've kind of been doing that all season long. Um, that team is just different when they have Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Chris Middleton all available. Um, Lopez is back now. He's healthy. And I, I just – I think because of the way they play and the, 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 the neutralizer that Giannis Antetokounmpo is, I, I don't – I can't put any team ahead of them right now when they're fully healthy. So if they're fully healthy, I still think they're the team to beat in the East. It's going to be interesting to see what Brooklyn does because they're going to have to do it from beyond, you know, behind the pack. They're going to have to knock off some teams that are ahead of them. Uh, by stealing home court advantage because the way they're going to go in that, you know, seven or eight or six or whatever, somewhere like that, they're going to be down. Um, it's, it's a shame that what happened with Cleveland because I really liked the, what they were doing most of the season before they started having injury issues. The injury to Robert Williams in Boston is going to be a crucial blow to the Celtics in terms of their depth. I, I really like what they were building between him, him and uh, Al Horford, and they also got Daniel Tice back as well. They had a nice big man rotation. So if Robert Williams can get back, he's going to probably miss the first round. Boston still has a chance, too, because of Tatum and Brown being healthy. They were the best team in the East since January. Now you got, you know, Miami is, is trying to turn it around after a little bit of a slide. But if you ask me right now, who is my pick to come out of the East, all things uh, considered in terms of relative health, I still go back to the defending NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks. Real quick, if what's the latest on Ben Simmons? And if Ben Simmons uh, plays – for the Nets, would that make them in part the favorite? I, I don't think so. I, you know, I, I don't believe we will see Ben Simmons. And, and, and I'm just, you know, again, I'm a guy removed. I'm in the Western Conference, you know, with a, a specific team's media brand. Um, I don't get to cover and, and see the Nets on a daily basis. I do read the reports. And it just doesn't seem like his back is going to give him a chance to really play his way into a relative role that's going to be impactful enough for the Nets. Can they do it without him? Of course. When you have KD and Kyrie, I mean, that's, you know, you got 70 points a night right there. If you can come up with another 40 from the rest of your roster, then you're basically in every single game with the chance to win, and you get those guys to the closing moments and just let them take over. They can, they can definitely get it done. Check out his work at grindcitymedia.com. Also follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. He is Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joining us here on the program Mike, appreciate the time, man. We look forward to talking with you during the NBA playoffs. Hey, anytime, man. Let's do it again real soon.
My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Mike Wallace, Steve Weissman, and Aquil Glass for joining us on today's program. For more information on Box to Row, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support your box toro is produced by dw communications trying to consume some starts for the eve so i can get some phones rolling in my ride chilling all alone just hit the east side of the lbc on a mission trying to find mr warren g seen a car full of girls ain't no need to tweak all you search know what's up with 213 so i hooks a left on 21 and